John <laughs> chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. And now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew this place, for Jesus had met, often met there with his disciples. And Judas, uh, then having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And my brain says, oh my, um, just because, you know, that's, that's what I hear when I, lanterns and torches and weapons, oh my. You were warned, right? Okay. We're going to uh, break this down a little bit and start looking at these, uh, these, this passage of Scripture and, and begin to try to understand what this means to us today. If we look at this passage of Scripture, you see that Judas, the betrayer, is listed a couple of times in just this short passage of Scripture. Apparently, Judas, the betrayer, had gone to the high priest and betrayed Jesus, and in that betrayal, he had apparently told them how powerful Jesus was and the past experiences he had had with Jesus on the uh, discipleship trail. He let them know that sometimes Jesus was almost captured, cornered, but yet he escaped. That somehow he walked through people when they had come to plot against him because it wasn't his time. So he brought this Roman cohort. What is a Roman cohort? Well, there was a tower of Antonio named after Mark Anthony that was near the Temple Mount. And on that tower, there were 300 to 600 well-trained, fully armed, fully armored warriors from Rome that were assigned in that particular strategic spot to keep peace on the Temple Mount. Because even back then, the Temple Mount was a place of controversy and a place where people argued and fought with one another. And so this Roman cohort, this group of 300 to 600 men were assigned there. This is who Judas brought with him. Now, we are not told the exact number, but we do know that the Roman cohort existed and that it consisted of normally 300 to 600 Roman soldiers, fully armored. Along with that, as if that wasn't enough, it says that the officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees came with him. Now, the chief priest at this time, Caiaphas and his group, were Sadducees. Sadducees didn't like Jesus because he did miracles, and Sadducees didn't believe in miracles. Pharisees didn't like Jesus because he kept calling them vipers and whitewashed sepulchers. Didn't gain him any popularity with them either. So they plotted against him, and when they found a willing conspirator in Judas, they came to arrest him. So these officers from the chief priest with this guy called Malchus, who we'll introduce later. These were the temple police who worked alongside the Romans to keep order on the Temple Mount. There were places where the Romans would have caused more controversy than help if they had gone into. So the temple police were there to help supplement them. In the last part of that verse that we just read, it says it talks about the lanterns and torches 
and weapons. Are we there? Okay. The lanterns were basically a bright and shining light that was intended to light up a large area, the ancient equivalent of an LED flashlight. Have you seen those? Like they mount them on guns, and the police use them sometimes in dark places. They are really, really bright, almost blindingly bright. Well, that's, that's what their lanterns were like. They were focused light. Then they had torches, a long burning oil lamp that emitted a light that could burn all night if necessary. So they had these bright lanterns, and then they had these torches. So they were in it for the long haul. They were ready to search the mountain as long as they needed to to find Jesus. 300 to 600 soldiers, temple police, this whole group with all these lanterns and torches came to try to find Jesus. It also says that they had weapons. The word used here is used to describe the full weaponry that was used and issued to the Roman soldiers. This is the same language that is used in Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God. So that's exactly what these guys were decked out in, the whole armor of the Roman uh, soldiers. They were ready for battle. They were ready to do what they needed to do to get Jesus. Now we've kind of set the scene so you know who's on this mountainside with Jesus in the garden. So verse 4. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, who do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. Now the he is implied, that's why it's in parentheses, or in italics. Basically in that language he would have just said, I am. We seek Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am. Judas also, who was betraying them, it's important that we understand Judas was on their side with the bunch that was coming to arrest him, was standing with them, standing with them. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. <laughs> Judas along with them. That's what happens when you betray Jesus. You fall with the rest of them. <laughs> Therefore he said again to them, who do you seek? And as they're picking themselves off the ground, they say, uh, 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 probably a little less confidently, uh, Jesus of Nazareth? And then he says again in the next verse, that we won't go there right now, I already told you, it's me. <laughs> I am he. Let's break this down. I like to break these scriptures down and kind of go through them so we understand exactly what's going on. Whom do you seek? They had come prepared for an all-night search, and they had come prepared to meet resistance. But what does Jesus do? He comes down and meets them and voluntarily comes out and says, that's me. I am the Jesus of Nazareth that you seek. The word drew back there in the Greek means a staggering and stumbling pushed backwards as if hit by a great force. If you want to talk about being slain in the spirit, this is the first, this is the first occurrence of that. And it was genuine. There was no uh, camera work or, or phoniness about this. These guys weren't there to fall down for Jesus. 
They fell with a great force. And when it says that they fell to the ground, that's important too because that means that they were knocked flat, falling abruptly and hitting the ground so that it appeared like they fell dead like a corpse. This is a similar language that is used in Matthew 28 when it talks about the Roman soldiers at the tomb. When they saw the angels, they became as dead men. It's the same idea, the same concept. These Roman soldiers didn't have much standing up when it came to Jesus, did they? Unless, they, unless he wanted them to. So now we go to verse 8. Jesus answered and said, I told you I am he. So if you seek me, let these other ones go their way. And then in verse 9, to fulfill the word which he had spoken of, those you have given me, I have not lost one. Jesus had already made that promise that he wouldn't lose any of them. But then good old Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and stuck it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. Now we'll get back to him in a minute. I want to take a moment here and uh, look at some of these I am's. Are we on there yet? Okay, good. Now this I have as a handout. So if you're interested in all these scriptures that we're not going to take the time to read now because we'd be here past lunch, I do have them in a handy little uh, half-page handout, and you can get those after the service. And I actually took this, the verses and wrote them out for you uh, so you can see uh, for yourself in the Scriptures these things about Jesus. The I Am statements. Now, this is a whole series. It could take a long, long time to get through these. But we're just going to glance through them today, and you saw them on the video at the beginning, where Jesus says, and these are all the references in the Gospel of John, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, and the vine. Jesus said these things very clearly, and before every one of those were these little words, ego and me, I am, I am. There was a clear intention on Jesus' part to identify himself as the I am. There are some other phrases in the Gospel of John, that attach themselves to this same idea. There are seven other I am phrases of Jesus in the Gospel of John. He says, unless you believe I am, unless you believe I am, you, uh, let me read right off of here. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That one right there really got their goat. Because it was very clearly a reference to Exodus and the burning bush. Where God was talking to, through, to Moses through the bush. Moses said, well, who do I say sent me? And the bush talked back to him and said, tell him I am sent you. All these phrases that we're looking at today have to do with Jesus' identity, that he is the I am. We want to make sure that we get these related passages too. Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 61. But he kept silent. This is at the trial. He kept silent and did not answer. And again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? 
Jesus said, I am. So even in Mark, Mark records it, that he is, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then tearing his clothes, the high priest said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. Why? Because he very clearly understood what Jesus was proclaiming and claiming to be when he said, I am. He said, he's claiming to be God, which to the Jewish high priest was blasphemy. And so there have this passage. And then again in Exodus 14 is where we want to look at the original. This is the next slide, I think. Yeah. This is the one I was talking about. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Underneath that, I gave you a brief little explanation of what that is. Now, this is books and books have been written about this little two-word phrase, I am. But there it is. We sang about him this morning, Yahweh, Yahweh. That's how we try to anglicize it and talk to, say it in English. There, it's really an unpronounceable name because guess what? When the original Hebrew was written in the Bible, there were no vowels. No Vanna White to buy one. So you had to kind of figure out. Now the original Jews knew what the vowel sounds were when they saw the consonants. Out of context, they would understand that. But now, hundreds of years later, not so much. There was this thing called the Masoretic Text where they tried to add some of the vowels to it, but then they forgot how to say some of them. So when you see the, the initials YHWH, the yod heh vav most Jews will not say it, number one, because it's the holy name of God, and number two is because they're not really sure how to pronounce it, and so they don't want to mess it up. Now, on those little scrawly characters that's next to the YHWH, you read those from right to left because it's Hebrew. So the little curvy thing that looks like a comma up there, that's the Y. And then the H, and then the W is the little thing that looks like a shepherd's crook in the middle, and then another H. So that's the YHWH. It is sometimes referred to, and you can, you can do a search on this, the tetragrammaton. Four letters is what that fancy word means. Theologians like to think of fancy words to impress people, you know, to try to uh, impress them with, with the fact that I know what the tetragrammaton is. Now you do too. Four letters. That's all it means. There are some other uh, words that are, are passages that are related to this in Isaiah 41. Four. Who has performed and accomplished this, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, I am the first and with the last. I am. And then the he, again, is implied there. The idea, again, is the same one that's carried over into Revelation, where Jesus says, I am, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 43.10 of Isaiah, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 13 and verse 19, where he says, from now on I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am. Do you get the idea? Jesus claimed to be I am. So all these people that want to tell you Jesus never claimed to be God, point them to some of these scriptures. He did. 
definitely say, I am. And he used the phrase in such a way that there was no question, no doubt, that he was saying, remember, I am in the Old Testament? That's me. I am here with you. I'm not in a burning bush. I'm in a body just like you are. But I am that same one. Before Abraham was, I am. This is what Jesus was trying to say to us. So, what we need to understand is who is Jesus? Because it changes the way we live, or at least it should. It should challenge and change the way we live so that we are no longer intimidated no matter how many soldiers heavily armed in weaponry the enemy may send against us to stop us from doing what God wants us to do. I am is on our side. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he was asking the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said to him, some say it's John the Baptist and others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood, blessed are you Simon Barjona, Barjona, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I pray that the Lord will open our hearts and minds to receive the truth that we are reading today from his word. That we will understand the impact of these statements that Jesus made. That same Jesus that stood in that garden in the night against these hundreds of Roman troops, against these enemies, these religious enemies from the temple, that same Jesus is with us today. Because you see, the thing about that word, I am, it carries with it a, a concept that we can't really compare in English. The I am that Jesus is using here, the verb that he uses here, says that I am in the past, I am in the present, and I am in the future. He is the God who does not change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, that same concept. The one who was and is and is to come is the I am. And Jesus said, that's me. That's me. That should help all of us and encourage all of us as we look into a world that is anti-Christian. Sadly, even in this country that used to be called, called itself a Christian country, no longer so. No longer so. We find more and more anti-Christian sentiment, anti-Jesus sentiment. People get upset when you talk about Jesus why is that? I think because the spirits behind that idea understand the I am. And they react to his power, to the fact that they know that he has already defeated them. It's written in the book, and it will come to pass. And so they are angry right now. They are violently angry and trying to fight against those things. Therefore, we need to stand more and more sure of who we are 
in Christ. Jesus asked his disciples, now I'm going to back it up and reverse the order of the questions that he asked. Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? So basically what he's asking all of us, Jesus is saying, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? What does Jesus mean to me? I can't answer that for you. I can only answer it for me. And so I want you to, to be open to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you today and saying, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he the I am? Is he the one who can speak just his name and the enemy falls backwards and flat? Or is he some weak-kneed, meek and lowly person that people run over? People tend to focus on those turn-the-other-cheek passages and the meekness of Christ and all those kinds of things, they forget to balance that out with the I am part. Jesus is meek and lowly. Jesus did teach us to turn the other cheek. But meekness comes from a sense of confidence in the power that backs you up. Meekness doesn't come from weakness. Meekness comes from strength. The word that is used in, in the New Testament to describe meekness has to do with the reigning of a horse. Meekness is reigning the power of the horse in. <laughs> meekness is the idea God can do through me whatever He needs to do. And that meekness will rein it back so I don't get in my flesh. That's who Jesus is. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? Is He the I Am today? Is He the all-powerful? Don't forget who Jesus is. The world will try to water Him down. The world will try to tell you, this guy lived 2,000 years ago. Not relevant to today. Well, I'm telling you, that I Am that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, that I Am that Jesus declared in the garden, is the same I am today that lives in us. And He is the same I am who will ride in upon a horse with King of kings and Lord of lords written upon His thigh. He's the same I am who was and is and is to come. The same I am who is Alpha and Omega. That's my Jesus. You can have that weak Jesus if you want to. But I found out that's not going to stand up very well in today's world. This world is violently against us. In every thought and philosophy, they are attacking us. They are trying to undermine the validity of the Scriptures. They are trying to undermine who Jesus is. I'm here to declare to you today that the Word of God, which is infallible and will be forever, not one jot or tittle, Jesus said, will ever pass away. That means not one cross, T, or dotted I will ever change in the Word of God. He says He was and is and is to come. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I stand upon that declaration. That's the Jesus who lives in me. And therefore, though I may be meek and lowly in heart, 
because of all that Jesus has done for me. And humbled by the fact that this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, this I Am, has saved me and forgiven me of my sins. I will not bow, I will not bow down or buckle under to the world system that tries to tell me anything different. Who is Jesus to you? What does Jesus mean to you? It's a matter of devotion. How devoted we are to Christ will show who Jesus is to us. If we are devoted to Christ only in the sense that we will open up our our Bibles or our, our study guide, whatever it is, for five minutes or ten minutes in the morning, and that's the extent of our devotion, then that kind of tells you where your devotion is. That's pretty shallow roots. Devotion has to be 24-7. Devotion has to be when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you know the I Am is with me. There's peace. Some of you know about my operation that was back in December where they routine, the surgeon called it, outpatient surgery. Sent me home, and then two days later when I went to lay down to go to sleep, I felt a disturbance in my throat and found out that once we got to the emergency room and they examined me and did uh, emergency surgery that I had a bleeding artery in my neck. And I could have passed into eternity. When they put me out at the ER to put the breathing tube down my neck, the doctor said, you'll wake up in the the next hospital where they did the original surgery. And I'm thinking in my own self, either there or heaven. One or the other. If I don't wake up in a hospital, I'll wake up looking at Jesus. Either one's good. Those are good options. And I want to encourage you today, you have those same options. When you face death, when you face challenges, when you face things that are overwhelming to you and things that are beyond your control, there is one who is in control. He is the I Am. His name is Jesus. And to Him I devote my life. That's why Diane and I are retired, but yet we still will serve Him. Because of all that He has done for me and all He is doing through me, I give Him praise. The next thing that Jesus wants to ask us is, Who do you say that I am in the sense of who is Jesus in you? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus in you? How does Jesus manifest himself in me? How does Jesus manifest? How do we, as Pastor Mark says, walk it out? That's the difference. A lot of people know Jesus. But the Jesus to you and the Jesus in you can be different. A lot of people, even demons, acknowledge that He is God. But who is He in you? Who is He in you? It's a matter of how does Jesus manifest Himself in me, and that brings about the idea of discipleship, which is what I was touching on there, that idea of service, service to God. Who is Jesus in you? Does the Jesus in you cause you to do things that you know in your flesh you would not do? 
You see, my flesh cries out and says, you're retired, don't do that. You're, you know. But Jesus in me says, love them as you've been loved. Love them as you've been loved. And so that love overwhelms my flesh and says, I will love. Even if it costs my flesh a little bit, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good for Jesus in me. Jesus to me. To show that He is the I Am. He is alive today. And He is on the throne. Not only on the throne in heaven, but on the throne in my own heart. Then finally, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they give Him a bunch of options. This leads me to the question of, who is Jesus in you to others? That's the next one. Who is Jesus in you to others? So we've talked about who is Jesus to you, who is Jesus in you, and now who is Jesus in you to others? How do others view Jesus through me? What kind of reflection of my Lord am I? Do they see the I am operating in me? This has to do with a word that some of you may be familiar with, some of you may not have heard it before. It's called deponent. Should be there at the bottom. D-E-P-O-N-E-N-T. Deponent? No? Maybe. There it is. Let me put it in a frame of reference for you. Have you ever heard of having to do a deposition for court? Well, the one giving the deposition is the deponent. There's the technical term. A deponent is a person who will give an affidavit, a sworn affidavit, witnessing to what he knows is true. Who is Jesus in me to others? I am his deponent. I am the one that has to give witness to what he has done in me. I give that affidavit every day by the way I live, by the way I speak, by the way I act, by the way I interact with other people. It's my deposition of who Jesus is to me. Who is Jesus in you to others? How do others view Jesus through you? When they look at you, do they see only your flaws and faults and failures because that's what you highlight? Or do they see the testimony that you have that used to be me, but now because of Jesus, I am a new creature in Christ. I am a new creature in Christ. Who is Jesus in you to others? What kind of deposition, what kind of witness are you giving in our world? Every day we walk... Through this world, we are giving a, deposi a deposition of who Jesus is. Is the way we live, the way we act, the way we interact, portraying the great I am, or is it portraying this flannel graph, weak Jesus that you see in religious circles? My Jesus is not some flat character in a book. Neither is he just a three-dimensional character. 
He is the I Am. Who was and is and is to come. He is beyond dimension. He is beyond limit. That's why the Scripture talks about the fact that God can see the end from the beginning. Before Abraham was, I am, he said. Because John chapter 1, it tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Huh? Who was the Word? Jesus. Jesus. So what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? Who is Jesus to you triggers what the rest of these fall into. Who is Jesus to you? Discovering who is Jesus to you will impact the other two. Because who Jesus is to you in your devotion will then trigger who Jesus is in you, your discipleship, will then trigger who Jesus is in you to others, your deposition. What kind of witness are we going for today? So the question then that we are left with today in the conclusion, yeah, I'm concluding. How do I let go my ego or ego so that the ego of me, the I am, can live and reign in and through me? In other words, how do I get out of the way with all my limitations, with all of my flaws and failures, so that this ego of me, this I am, can shine through. That's why we are here. I think Mark, Pastor Mark referred to it not long ago when he said, you know, if the whole point of this thing was salvation and going to heaven, then the moment we give our lives to Christ and surrender to Him as Savior, we could be transported into heaven and it would be done. But He leaves us here. Why? So that we can be His witnesses. So that we can give a living deposition. A testimony of who He is. That He is and was and always will be the great I Am. What is your testimony? Who is Jesus in you? How do you get out? Well, the Scripture tells us, humble yourselves. And He will lift you up. God help me to get out of the way. One thing, I've shared this with you before, one thing I've learned about all the education I've had is how little I know. That's the message I got. Yeah, I spent all those years in college and and graduate school and postgraduate school, all that good stuff. And all it taught me was how little I do know. And so, one thing I have learned from the Scripture is that I know enough to get out of the way. And I pray that that's what happens today, is that you don't see Trahan up here, but you see Jesus and you hear Him calling out to you, stand fast in Me. Be the I Am to this world. Be the living witness, the deposition of who Jesus is today in this world. If there was ever a day and a time and a culture that needed the message of the unchanging, immutable God, it is our day and time. It is our day and time. We have to stand up 
for Jesus. And we come back to this passage from John 18, where Jesus is talking to them, and it says in verse 10, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave, cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. And Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword away. It's like, didn't you just see me knock all these guys down? If I wanted to resist them, I could take care of it without you puny sword. (laughs) Some lessons to learn from this. The enemy is not always who we think he is. Sometimes we attack people (laughs) with our little swords and do more damage than good. When what Jesus is saying to us is, just like he said to Peter, put the sword away. You don't have to attack people. Let me, in you, through you, speak to them. And that's not by preaching at them necessarily or beating them over the head with a big Bible. That's by walking it out. That's by living it out. By showing them who Jesus is in you. Another thing is, our plan may not be God's plan. (laughs) Have you discovered that yet? Our plan may not be God's plan. I found that out a few times the hard way. I thought I had it. And sometimes, I don't know if you've experienced this yet, but sometimes I, I develop a plan. I have it all planned out. I have it all figured out. I have all the steps done. And I bring it to him, and I say, Lord, bless this. Or I get halfway through it, and I say, "Uh, Lord, you want to help me out here? This ain't working. Been there, done that. I'll sign the deposition on those. That's the way it works sometimes. Our plan may not be God's plan, so the best plan is to know his plan. You know how you know his plan? Know the word. His plan is in writing. You want to know what God's will is? God's will is written right here. It's not some mysterious, ethereal thing floating around the sky that we have to chase and wonder if we found it. It's in the book. The third one, wait to hear before acting alone. (laughs) Wait to hear from him before acting alone. Peter didn't wait for Jesus' instructions. He immediately took out his sword and chopped off the guy's ear. Now there's a couple of things. (laughs) There's a couple of things here that happen, I think. Malchus, this, this unfortunate servant of the high priest had probably been in Peter's face a few times before because they had confronted Jesus on a number of occasions. The high priest and his crew had confronted Jesus on a number of occasions and tried to arrest him. So Peter may have had a history with Malchus. And so when he saw his ugly face standing there besides these Romans, like, I'm invincible now, i got the Romans with me. Peter's flesh overtook him and he whipped out the sword and cut off his ear. You know, sometimes when we think we're doing right, we 
cut off people's ears. We don't let them hear the message that Jesus has for them. Instead, we attack with our own means and our own sword. Be thankful when he cleans up our mess. In one of the other Gospels, it tells us that Jesus picked the ear up off the ground, stuck it back on, and said, here, there you go. (laughs) Notice that the last miracle Jesus did before he was led to trial to be crucified was to heal one of the people who came to arrest him. Who is Jesus in you? How do we respond when our enemy is standing before us? Do we react in a fleshly manner that says, I can handle this before we even consult God or ask God, what do you want to have done? Do we injure people that Jesus has to later on come back and heal? Who is Jesus in us? How do we portray him? The last one that I want to leave you with today is don't allow shame and guilt to drive you away. I believe that this this incident planted a seed in Peter's heart that later at the trial when he betrayed or, or denied Jesus, it was because of this guilt and shame from this act in the garden. He felt foolish. He felt stupid. And so the shame and the guilt of that moment fed into the fear of being associated with Jesus. Even though Peter had seen him knock down all these guys with word, even though Jesus had seen, uh, even though Peter had seen Jesus pick up an ear and stick it back on that he had just cut off, Peter wasn't sure enough of who Jesus was to say, yeah, I'm one of his. Shame and guilt can drive you away from who Jesus is. Stand with him today. Stand with him today and know that Jesus will do what he said he will do. Jesus will come into your life and he will do whatever it takes in you and through you to be the witness that you are called to be in this world. What kind of deposition are you leaving? What kind of deposition are you leaving today? I have have a short prayer that I want to pray with you, if I can find it. Maybe not. Ah, I found it. Will you bow your heads with me? And if you mean this prayer, pray it along with me or pray it in your own words. This is the power of the I am. I declare that there is no force strong enough to resist God's power. No sickness, no financial turmoil, no relationship problems, no political forces. Absolutely nothing has the power to resist the supernatural power of Jesus Christ, the I am. When the word of God is spoken, every power that attempts to defy that word is pushed backwards and shaken till it staggers and stumbles and falls to the ground. 
When my words come into agreement with God's word, His power will be unleashed against the forces that try to come against me. If you believe that, say with me in Jesus' name, amen.